0: Thanks for listening, and I hope you will be inspired. today on Inspiring Women, we're speaking with Patrice Wolf. Patrice is a very accomplished CEO. Today, she is the CEO of AGS Health, which is a global analytics-driven, technology-enabled revenue cycle management company with over 8,000 employees worldwide. And in addition to what Patrice does in her day job, she also serves as a mentor, a board member of other organizations. Over the years, she's led many, organizations previously with um, a McKesson company, CEO of Medicity, previous CEO of HDMS, um, and really has been in leadership since she left her MBA at Yale years back. So I am really eager to talk to Patrice um, this morning about what she is doing at AGS Health, how she's been leading through the pandemic, and then just really leadership understanding. She's been mentoring and helping and supporting women in leadership for her and entire career and patrice thank you for being on inspiring women
1: thank you Lori. i'm really thrilled to be here with you
0: well you know i am really happy to be talking to you you know you have such an accomplished career it seems like you have been thrust into the throes of leadership since day one um, <laughs> on the job but you know i always start inspiring women asking women accomplished like you what are you doing right now what is your day-to-day with ags health Sure. Uh,
1: Well, as you mentioned, um, I am the CEO of this private equity backed company, and I've been here since September of 2019. And, you know, we work in the revenue cycle. So most of our customers are really big hospital systems and very large physician practices. And we're just growing incredibly quickly. So I feel like I spend my days really thinking about how we are going to look over the course of the next few years as we continue to grow just organically with our customers, but also through acquisitions. Um, And how do we evolve a business and mature it and mature the people inside the company so that Um, they are able to do the great jobs they're doing today, but in the future when we're much bigger and more complex. And that's kind of a amorphous type of goal to have, but to me, it's key to the success of any organization.
0: Well, it also is, a you know, those kinds of growth goals and and stepping into a next level of company, those are things that make sense in any growing organization. But you've been there two and a half years, and the majority of the time you've been in a pandemic, okay, and, <laughs> right. and a global company. So I really want to get into that in terms of how you're managing that strategy. But even before we go there, Patrice, you know, how... I, how did the career for you evolve? It seems since, you know, back when you, you got your undergraduate degree at Tufts, then your MBA at Yale, when you were at Yale, you dabbled in medicine and law and public health. And then you immediately seem to move into leadership, at least, you know, what it, what it appears. Is that what happened?
1: Yeah, it's never quite that straightforward. Um, But I did. I think one of the things that I have done pretty regularly throughout my career is raise my hand when there are new problems that need to be solved or new areas that a company needs people to help focus on and invest in. And, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of a lifelong learner. I would say that. I do have a lot of intellectual curiosity. I love meeting new people. I love reading new things because I know I'm always going to learn something and it could help me solve problems that I deal with in my daily life. So, you know, I think that I I said yes when people asked me to do something different. And I think that has really helped me grow in my career. Uh, You know, I will say, I didn't say yes to everything. I never said yes to relocating. I've lived in Washington, D.C. now for about 35 years. And I, I was asked many times to move to, to different places. And I always said no, because I had a husband with a career. I had children who I didn't want to uproot. And I know that that slowed down my career progression, but I ne- have never regretted saying no when i didn't feel good about what i was being asked to do
0: okay well that's interesting and so you know also gives you some stability i'm sure for your family i'm probably really welcome during this past pandemic time um, so you know saying yes to opportunity is uh you know often the sort of signature move of again accomplished women um like yourself but i don't think there's any preparation that could, you know that there could have been for this past two years that we've all been through. So when you took on AGS Health, it was already growing. Boom, pandemic hits just a couple months in, you have a global workforce. So maybe give us a little bit of information about the company, but then also how did you manage through? And I have to imagine it's also evolved a little bit over these past two years.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're right. Um, We are a global company. I right now have about 10,000 employees in India, um, about 50 in the US, and we're actually doing work right now to determine what our next geographic location is going to be. While I have people in five different cities in India, and India is a very big country. Um, I really just don't feel comfortable without some level of geographic uh, diversification. And some of that is simply the result of the pandemic, understanding um, how global phenomena like COVID impact your disaster recovery and just, you know, kind of how you hedge your bets. Um, but yeah, the pandemic, man, I mean, that this has been just an incredible learning opportunity for me and for my entire senior leadership team. And, you know, when I think back to the early days of the pandemic, you know, March, April of 2020, they were without a doubt some of the most stressful days of my life. And we had to send home to work. You know, five, 6,000 people in India, and I'm talking people bringing computers home on the backs of mopeds or in like the little tuk-tuks that they drive in India. And there's not stable internet in India, not to mention there's not even stable electricity everywhere. So it was just an incredible logistical challenge to figure out how were we going to get these people Home and how we're gonna get them to be productive from home. Um, and, And you fast forward two years and it is a testament to the Indian culture and the government that now nobody wants to come back and work in an office. Everybody wants to stay home. And the quality and the productivity at home is really good. It's not as good as working in an office, but it's pretty darn good. So there's a country that has pivoted within 24 months to a completely different working model. And it's just kind of fascinating to see that and then to figure out, well, what does that mean for the future of our business? Um, We have made a formal statement that Work from home will be a standard part of how AGS works, not for 100% of the people, probably for about 50%. And that's a big change in just workforce philosophy. So that's all been super interesting to me to see take place.
0: And and I have to imagine along the way, do you think the culture of that, I mean, how has the culture been impacted and do you have the, I'm sure employee loyalty and all of those kinds of things, retention are probably big um, things that you work on at AGS. Are these the types of solutions that allow you to maintain the employee stability, the workforce stability that you need?
1: Yeah, that's it's such an interesting area you're absolutely right. I think anywhere in the world, when you start to hire people remotely who have never stepped foot in an office or have never met their boss in person or their colleagues, the level of engagement, it's not the same. And the kinds of strategies you have to adopt in order to drive engagement among these new people, they're different. And that's one of the most interesting things to me right now is just how do we re-engineer the whole employer-employee relationship so that people who are remote feel just as engaged as those people who would come into work every day and they would sit down with their friends and have lunch and they would take breaks with their friends and they would you know, run over to their manager's office and ask a question if something wasn't clear to them. This becomes more difficult, but there are really great technology solutions to help with some of these things. And you just have to become really creative about how you bring different HR techniques and strategies to bear Um, so that you don't see a lot of turnover from new people who don't have that same level of engagement.
0: And the employee engagement strategies that you're talking about they are um, very interesting because AGS is a solution company. It's a service delivery and product delivery um, company. But you're trying to what I'm hearing you say, you know, lead on the edge of these employee engagement strategies, given that that's just a critical um, aspect of um, your model. You know, Patrice, if I could take you know, sort of riff on that a little bit, you know, you as just a longtime leader. Leading many different organizations, you also are um, outwardly passionate about the development of women and other women who um, aspire to leadership like yourself. So, I'm just curious how you take sort of like, again, learnings of this year and how you are thinking about evolving, um, developing the next generation of women leaders that are out there. What things have you done before? What things are important on the go forward?
1: One thing that has been really interesting in all of this the last couple of years is that you can attract a lot more women to leadership roles if you have more flexibility in location of work, hours of work, etc. So I've noticed through the pandemic, as we've sent everybody home to work, we have really been able to increase our, the proportion of women who are leaders in our company. Uh, in a place like India, um, management is intimidating to women because they worry that it equates to more hours um, and that they can't get home to make dinner or take care of their children. So you see a lot of women shying away from leadership opportunities. But the introduction of work from home as a permanent option has brought more women to the forefront to raise their hands and say, hey, I think I would like to consider that management role now. So that's one thing that has been kind of a silver lining in the pandemic. But beyond that, you know, I really feel very strongly that uh, there are themes in terms of where women often get excluded that make it harder for women to really get to the upper echelon of companies um, or not-for-profits like hospital systems. And so some of the things that we're trying deliberately to do to address that fall into a few categories. The first one is networking. Um, It's really important to bring young, capable women into meetings and other situations where they have the opportunity to talk with and interact with the most senior decision makers in a company that might be the board of directors, it might be the the CXOs, um, but we've got to give people exposure so that not only do the senior staff get to know them, but they also get to see and hear how decisions get made. So that's number one. The second thing that I think is really critical for mentoring women is giving them the opportunity to own business segments, to have a profit and loss responsibility, to manage revenue and to manage expense, because you can't get to where I am if you don't have that kind of experience. Um, and too often, those opportunities are not made available to a wide range of people. So you see a lot more women in support functional leadership roles like HR or finance, but not as much in the operating roles. And so giving women the opportunities to own, even if it's a sliver of a business line so that they have that exposure and they get those experiences, that's I think another really critical area for
0: emphasis. And what's the third one? You said there are three things.
1: There's also, I think, just systemic changes in an organization creating the right incentives to drive more female participation. And that might be in the form of bonuses tied to the percent of women in leadership roles, or it might be how you structure equity Um, based on certain characteristics of the organization. You know, you wanna incent people to do the right things. And it's one thing for me to say, here's the direction we wanna go in, but all of those middle managers down in the organization, they've got to embrace it also. And part of how we make people embrace things is by paying, we we reward them when they, they function in the way we're looking for. So that's, I think also a really important area.
0: Those are very large um, items. So, you know, giving, uh, you know, providing exposure um, opportunities, giving people PL types of responsibilities, even at a small, um, small level, as an opportunity to step into leadership and then making systemic company um, changes, those are, you know, more than just advice, those are material um, changes that you're making. And I can see how that can address some of those um, problems. That's just fantastic. You know, Patrice, coming back to you as a leader, you personally, beyond just leading up companies, you do other things on the side. You are one of the founding members of Bulldog Innovation Group, um, where you uh, seem to invest in young entrepreneurs and also provide mentoring and advice there. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: Sure, so Bulldog Innovation Group, or we call it BIG, it's, um, it's basically an, a venture capital firm that several of us who are Yale alumni founded so that we could focus on really early seed stage ventures that are led by fellow Yale alumni. And we put this together many years ago because several of us who were sitting on the board of the Alumni Association we're talking about how we just didn't feel like there was a good vehicle for us to support some of just the amazing entrepreneurial ideas that were out there. So we put the uh, fund together, geez, I think it must be almost 10 years ago now. Um, and interestingly, we have a much higher percentage of female founders that we have invested in. Now, some of that has been very deliberate on our part, Um, But it's really been gratifying to me to get to know many of these young women founders and, you know, their experiences don't all turn into some great payday at the end. These are startups and more of them fail than succeed. But I personally have been really gratified to see the women who have actually struggled and kind of pivoted their businesses um, during the course of the early days of their organizations. Um, Some have sold to larger companies, some have changed their business model, um, but it's just really exciting to see all of the really talented female entrepreneurs out there who have great ideas about how to disintermediate existing players or how to solve a problem that nobody's addressed yet. Um, So it's been a huge amount of fun to um, with my fellow founders to um, invest in a lot of these startups.
0: And it also uh, speaks to the thing that you talked about in terms of what's important to you, lifelong learning and seeing how other people think about um, solving complex problems in an entrepreneurial early stage way. Okay, Patrice, I want to do a little real talk with you. So you're super accomplished. Sounds like you've got everything um, thought well thought through and going in the right direction. And usually with accomplished women like yourself, um it wasn't as easy as it appears on the LinkedIn profile. So right. Can you give us one of those examples of perhaps where you, you know, a breakthrough moment for you in your career, an opportunity that you either wish you could have done over Um, some of those examples that might be helpful for listeners?
1: I think for years, I adopted the persona of the problem solver, you know, the person who can come in and uh, hopefully fix something that isn't going very well. And I probably have learned the most from some just really challenging situations where we had bought companies that weren't doing very well, or we had invested in um, new technology solutions, spending millions and millions of dollars building new software products that were struggling. And... I have many times been asked to shut things down, shut down operations, um, let go divisions of people, let go individual people. Nobody likes doing that stuff. But I would say I probably have learned an enormous amount from um, having to be in those situations. And some of the things I've learned are, first of all, I don't like being put in the position of being asked to come in at the 11th hour to fix something. The key is to get engaged earlier on and figure out exactly what are the business problems we're facing and let's see if we can fix them in a way that is good for the business and good for the people. Uh, When you wait until the last minute, it's a crisis situation. And I don't love being put in crisis situations. However, if that is what you're facing, there are ways to handle it that are respectful and thoughtful. And you know, one of the things I would say I learned was when you're facing a difficult situation, overplan for it, particularly if there are any personnel implications, because people deserve to be treated with respect. And if you kind of wing it when you have to shut something down. You are going to leave people in a a scenario that could damage their self-esteem, certainly damage their financial status, and it doesn't have to be that way. So I think I've learned over the years to really focus on the human side of whatever challenge needs to be resolved, um, because you want to make sure that um, this is a small industry, and You're leaving with the best possible relationships because you never know when you might need this person in the future, um, when they might be the perfect fit for an opportunity that you have. So that's something that I've really tried very hard over the years to be careful about because we will never find ourselves in jobs where everything's just rainbows and unicorns. There are always gonna be problems that have to be resolved.
0: So staying really attentive to the human side of difficult circumstances and sort of leaning into that more heavily in a planful way um, has been really helpful. You know, Patrice, there's a lot of experience that you're bringing to this conversation and I really appreciate you sharing it. Um, What inspires you? So it's like day to day, are there things that you read or they're clearly like being involved with entrepreneurs and um, uh, sort of like more early stage career professionals? But what, what inspires you day-to-day?
1: A few things. I mean, I, I'm definitely a capitalist at heart. You know, I love the whole the business mechanics of healthcare. I love, I love the complexity of the industry and the kinds of things that our customers have to deal with. I love the f- figuring out, you know, how can we take that complexity down a notch? Because I think we would all agree in healthcare we're overly complex, we're overly bureaucratic, we're overly regulatory in certain areas. And I'm a huge fan of um, balancing the macro and the micro on a daily basis. So I read newsletters, I love the His Talk newsletter. I love um, a great newsletter called Venture Valkyrie. Um, which is written by an incredibly funny woman who has decades of venture capital experience. Um, I read industry newsletters, private equity and healthcare industry newsletters. So I, I love making sure that I don't lose sight of the big picture, but I also think that you know, even at my level, um, rolling your sleeves up and being willing to dig into the details to help solve problems That's a part of my job. That's part of who I am. I'm here to make everyone else's jobs easier. So I love to make sure that I don't spend all of my time solely in the details of the business, but that I'm also thinking about the industry that we're part of because that industry influences and shapes what we do today and what our future is going to be
0: yeah it's a big it's a big industry of healthcare for sure Patrice this has been such a great conversation i've really appreciated it as we close out on inspiring women any last words of wisdom or advice for other perhaps younger aspiring women who want to be more like Patrice wolf
1: You know, I think it's so important, no matter what your age or your tenure in the workforce is, that you understand what your core values are and that you stay true to them. You know, I mentioned earlier that I made a decision to never agree to relocation, which I know hurt my career. But it was very important to me that I didn't compromise my husband's career or my children's social and and educational progress. Um, And I think all of us have to really understand what at its core are the things that to us are not worth compromising on. Because as we're presented with different opportunities throughout our careers, we have to be true to those values, or we're going to find ourselves really unhappy. Um, And so every one of us can step back and spend some time thinking about those things because that will come in handy for you throughout your career.
0: Well, I think staying true to core values has certainly been a winning formula for you. And Patrice, I really appreciate you sharing that information. This has been a fantastic, inspiring women conversation. I've been speaking with Patrice Wolf. and Patrice, thank you so much. Thank you, Lori. This has been an episode of Inspiring Women with Lori McGraw please subscribe, rate, and review. We are produced by Kate Cruz at Executive Podcast Solutions. More episodes can be found on inspiringwomen.show. I am Lori McGraw, and thank you for listening.